Welcome to All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Our podcast offers friendly conversations with inspiring individuals in the autism community. All Autism Talk is brought to you by Learn Behavioral and the Learn Provider Network. Now here's your host, Richie Plush. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to All Autism Talk, a podcast brought to you by the Learn Behavioral Network, a leading provider of ABA services across the country. I'm sitting down again this week with Katherine Johnson to talk to you about a topic that we found really important. But before we get into that, I want to share with you a couple of resources that we have coming out to you. Um, as we've talked about before, if you go to learnbehavioral.com backslash parent resources, um, there's a newsletter that's coming out every week, and it's filled with some great information. Uh, coming out uh, in, the, in the next week or so is going to be some, some great videos about some positive behavior strategies that you can be using at home with your son or daughter, and also um, some tips on how to work on maintaining skills over this, over this current crisis. Um, I know for a lot of you, there's been a lot of changes going on with COVID-19 and restrictions about work and going to the park and going to the beach and spending time at school and all those things. So I just want to encourage you to uh, check that out, check out that resource for you and uh, use those tips and tricks and use, uh, use them as, as you need them to be supportive of you during this time. Um, also just just want to give a shout out to everybody who's participating in telehealth strategies and telehealth services. I know that this is not easy, but um, and I know it can be challenging in your daily routines or what, what attempt you have at making a daily routine right now. I just want to encourage you to keep going. Stay strong. The stuff you're doing today is going to pay off, uh, pay dividends later and really have a big impact on your son or daughter in those maintaining of skills and both like getting through this. Um, it's okay for it to be hard. It's okay for you to struggle. Make sure you're taking care of yourself and all of that, of course, but also any little bit of time you can get with your clinicians. Um, I encourage you to do it, even if it's via telehealth. Work through uh, the Zoom bombings that have been going on and the, the face timings that are freezing. You can work through all those things and, and get a little bit of support, but it's just going to have a really large impact when you start to get back into the normal school and work and commuting routine that you're going to get back into at some point. So stay strong, keep going, and I'm excited to talk with Catherine Johnson this week about a topic that we both thought was really important, incidental teaching. Thanks, Catherine, for joining us today. Hello, hello. How are you? Great. How are you? Doing great. I'm excited to talk about oh. incidental teaching today. Well, you know, it, we both, we both uh, kind of came to the conclusion in our last podcast that that would have been a great topic for us. Um, tell us, before we get into it, what is inc incidental teaching and why is it relevant to us right now? Well, incidental teaching is a t type of teaching that we use in ABA that it, it sort of has a lot of similar elements to discrete trial teaching. So you're, you're using some prompting and you're using um, some reinforcement. But the difference is that it really it occurs in, in the natural environment. Um, and one of the most important pieces of it is that the learning opportunity is actually something that is initiated by the child. Um, or by the child's interest in something. So it's really sort of taking advantage of their motivation. Um, and the reason that, you know, that I think it's particularly relevant right now is that there are a lot of families out there who, um, for whatever reason, are not getting services. So they might be, um, you know, unable to, uh, unable to get services right now because there aren't enough providers. It might be that there is um, someone in their household um, who's particularly at risk for COVID-19, and so they don't want mm -hmm. service providers coming into their home. Um, 
So as people are sort of like not getting um, necessarily the amount of services that, that they want to be getting, and they're also sort of having more time at home with their children. Um, and Instagram teaching is fantastic because you can use it. It's, very, it's a very flexible teaching strategy. You can use it throughout the day with whatever you're doing. You can use it during you know, your normal routines. You can use it during a multitude of, of different kinds of activities and sort of how you do it and what materials you use can all be based on what's already in your home. So it's perfect for people who are self-isolating right now. Yeah, I think what you just said is, is such an important piece of that, right? Um, you can just build it into to daily routines. There are so many, so many natural learning opportunities that come up in just our daily routines, uh, regardless whether it's, you know, an academic task, a self-help task, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, if you're making lunch, you, great, everyone needs five carrots. Let's count five carrots. That's what I'm doing with my daughter. And so we all did that, right? Yeah. It's just an easy opportunity to build in a little bit of, a little bit of question and answer, a little bit of answering, a little bit of like using skills that she's worked on before, kind of built into lunch. Yeah, and you know what? That's a really good point. I think that there are a lot of parents who already do this and do it naturally. Mm-hmm. So if you're someone who, you know, when you have a snack and your child comes up and reaches for it, if you're the kind of parent that sort of naturally prompts them to ask for it and then you give it to them, congratulations. You're already using incidental teaching. And I think... <laughs> One of the things that I think probably a lot of parents are teaching right now, at least those of us who are working from home, is teaching kids the concept of, wait, right. <laughs> mommy's, mommy's in a meeting, or, um, right. or, or, you know, how to be quiet. You were just talking about how, um, you know, before we started the show, about your son and how, how you have taught your son that when you are in a meeting at home, you know, you can just hold up your finger and, and he understands what that means now. and. Yeah, I, and I want to specify it's not any finger; it's the like wait, hold on finger, just for just for families. Um, but the rea- I mean, the reality is, you know. Um, I'm glad you clarified. You know, <laughs> you know, my my kids really want a lot of it, a lot of attention right now. You know, they're not getting a lot of they're not getting any attention at school, and um, you know, they're doing some videos things at school, but it's hard for them to know when we're available and when we're not. And that's something that we had been practicing just as a general, you know, if, if we're on the phone or whatever it may be. And so today was a great opportunity. He came into my office and I was on a, on a video and I was like, hey, buddy, give me a minute. And then he left and I was like, great. And so that was a learning opportunity that just came up naturally. I took that as an opportunity to, to teach. And then afterwards, I met him and gave him a big hug and we, you know, cuddled for a few minutes and, you know, I gave him, I won't, I won't lie. I gave him a couple M&Ms also. Um, to tell him he did a good job. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's certainly this is something that does come naturally to some parents, and it doesn't come naturally to everyone, and that's totally 100% okay. So I think, um, you know, for those parents for whom it does come naturally, maybe we can give you a few more ideas during this podcast. And for those of you who it doesn't come naturally for, um, you know, maybe we can sort of spark some inspiration to begin trying, trying out some incidental teaching in your own home. Because I think it's, yeah, it's I, so fantastic with a motivation, right? Right. Yeah, I was just going to ask, you know, what are what are some ways, um, you know, you mentioned language, right? And, and if somebody's language and language skills, and if somebody's wanting a snack, right, you can prompt them to use their language or things like that. You know, obviously, this isn't good for, you know, you can't do this for everything all day, every day, that would just wear everybody out. But what are some good examples that can come up, you know, to prompt for language and to prompt for play skills mm-hmm. and to prompt for social skills and things like that? What are, can you give us an example? 
Sure. Um, well, sort of let's, let's step back for just a second and kind of go over like what, what goes into incidental teaching. Great. So the first thing is we had, as we had said before, you know, you have to sort of, you need to see your child display interest in something. And once you see your child display interest in something, that should be a cue to you that there is an opportunity here to prompt them to do something new or to say a new word um, or to continue to generalize something that they've already started learning. And then once they do it with whatever prompting you need to help them actually do it, then there's a lot of praise or you give them access to something they want access to, um, but basically show them that that use of language or that that behavior that you're trying to reinforce works. So for example, if it's snack time or even if it's not snack time, especially, I mean, with COVID-19, it's always snack time, right? It's always snack time. <laughs> so you've got some, some cookies in the cupboard and, you know, your child is sort of like, um, you know, making noises and reaching toward the cupboard and you know that the cookies are what they're after. That's, the, uh, the indication to you, there's some motivation here. Let's try to get my child to say cookie. Or, you know, if they are, if they can already say cookie and they are um, a little bit further on, then maybe you prompt them to say the entire word. I want, or the, the entire sentence. I want a cookie, please. Or can I have a cookie? And then once you've prompted them to do that, then you give them access to the cookies. And the big thing about that is it's, it's really, um, it's all about it's all about motivation, right? That that's the that's the key. If you don't if you don't know what it is that they are interested in, uh, you're going to have a really hard time building and teaching opportunities for something that's not motivating. Absolutely, and I think that's one of the reasons why. I mean, incidental teaching has been around forever and was sort of first recognized in our field in the '70s, but when it initially sort of got a lot of attention, it was kind of focused around early learners and. The, particularly around asking for things that they wanted or needed. So, you know, other examples would be if you're doing a puzzle, if you're, if you're, if you've got a child that likes puzzles and really wants to do a puzzle, you know, you would sort of surreptitiously take a couple pieces out of there so that when they get to those puzzle pieces, they can ask, where is it? Or um, you can teach them to, to ask, you know, whatever, whatever types of language they're working on right then. Can I have a puzzle piece, please? Or, to just say, it's missing, something's missing. Any sort of tasks like that, um, we used to do with, with one child that I worked with, he loved, loved, loved arts and crafts. And so we would show him how to do a craft and then give him you know, some of the materials, but not all of the materials. So then he would know he needed to cut and he would look around and not see any scissors and he would have to come to me and say, I need some scissors or I would like the blue crayon now. So that's where it all kind of started, but it, that since then, there's been a lot of a lot of research and, and studies showing that you can use this, you know, really across the age span and across all different types of domains as well. Do you have any favorite examples of incidental teaching that yeah, go I beyond mean, that, like asking for something? Yeah, you know, one of the things I always think of is just sort of in the in the natural daily routines. It's it's you know, the three stages of any activity, right? There's the, you know, the, there's this concept of like the three stages of play where you like get ready for play, you set up a game, you invite another person, then you play the game and then you clean up the game. And so 
I think embedded in that alone is a lot of incidental teaching that I do with my kids and, and really with a lot of my uh, a lot of my clients as well. So if we're going to go for a walk, that's an that's an opportunity to practice putting on your shoes and tying your shoes. Mm-hmm. It's also an opportunity to practice, you know, going to the bathroom before you going to the restroom before you go to a walk. You know, maybe washing your you know obviously washing your hands afterwards, inviting somebody to come with you. You know, we've just built in. Some, some daily living skills, some social skills, and now we're going to go on the walk, which we're also going to build in some safety skills. Um, and then when we get back, we have to do all those kind of things in reverse, right? We take off our shoes, so we have to put them away. We can't just take them off and fling them wherever they go. And then we have to go and wash our hands because we've probably found bugs and dirt and all the fun stuff that we find on a walk. And so, like, just mm-hmm. even in that, all of a sudden a 10-minute walk has 10 minutes of learning before it, and 10 minutes of learning after it. And so it became, you know, a half an hour of, you know, learning and engagement as opposed to just like, all right, let's rush and get these on. I'm going to put them on for you type thing. Absolutely. That's such a great example. I think it's, there, there are a couple of different ways you can use routines. Um, one is just exactly what you were, what you were articulating there that, you can use it to teach routines. You can use it to teach the elements of something within the routine. So as you're going out for a walk, you can teach them to put on their shoes, put on their mittens, zip, zipper their coat. Right. Um, you can also use it in routines that have already been established. So if you've already taught your child, you know, if your child is, has already got their bedtime routine down pat, and they can go in and put their pajamas on and brush their teeth and climb in bed and grab a story. Anytime you take any of those elements and sort of change something or interrupt something, it's an opportunity for them to then use language. So another way to use routines. That's great, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, getting ready for bed. It's We're about to go to bed. You know, it's put on your pajamas, brush your teeth, go potty, go to bed you know, hear a story and that kind of a thing. So if you withhold the book, that's an opportunity for them to, you know, do a lot of the things that we're teaching our clients, right? Make eye contact, uh, make a request, use, use someone's name, say, excuse me, whatever the, whatever the language or the social skill may be, that's a great opportunity for them to kind of work those in naturally. And really, I think, you know, we haven't talked about this yet, but there are so many positives about incidental teaching. And one of the things you're describing is it's a chance for them to really generalize the skills that have been learned either in a, in a therapeutic setting or it just set up in more of like a structured way. And this is really an opportunity for, for families to use it in a less structured way or just the way they come up naturalistically, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. People can just use those natural opportunities as they arise or if you are sort of new to incidental teaching and need a little bit more structure, you can be more intentional about it and say, you know, these are the two things that I'm going to work on today. You know, every time we see, um, you know, something that has a a color that my child knows, we're going to talk about it, but just to have one or two, uh, one or two goals throughout the day. But it is so, you know, you mentioned how, much easier it is to generalize when a child is learning in the natural environment um, because they're, they're learning in the environment that they're going to use the skill eventually, which is, it can also take kids a little bit longer to learn in this way. On the other hand, some kids actually learn more quickly in this way and it does sort of help 
lay the groundwork for learning from the natural environment, which is, you know, our goal eventually for all of our kids. Right, right. So it sounds like this is something that a lot of families can be embedding into their routines, but they should really be, uh, I think, thoughtful or intentional about how they do it so that it's not all day, every day, but then also recognize that for some learners, this may be a great learning tool, but for some, it may be a little bit more of a challenge. Is that what you're saying? Incidental teaching is a fantastic way to teach a lot of kids. Um, And there are some kids who are going to learn more quickly because they are learning in the context that they're going to be using the skill. Um, And there are also other kids for whom it's it's not going to be as immediately successful and they might need some more um, sort of concentrated teaching. And incidental teaching is a fantastic supplement, but it might not be the be all end all for all kids. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great point. I think, you know, I think like what you're saying is that this is not an answer for everyone, but it's a great tool that you can use kind of throughout the day and, and expand on, expand on questions, expand on conversations, expand on learning opportunities for folks that during this time in particular, maybe having a, maybe struggling a little bit with building in those natural opportunities throughout the day. So I think that's a great point. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for bringing that up, Catherine. So one thing that I'm thinking about is, you know, a lot of a lot of parents, and particularly myself, right now, like our patience is a little bit thin or thinner, right? Like, how do we how do we not just want to sure. jump in and give an answer to somebody, or how do we not like, you know, I find myself over prompting sometimes because I'm like, oh, let me just let me just tell you what the answer is. Um, mm-hmm. what, how do how do we know like the right prompt level to support like learning in all of this? I think, like we had said last week, I think, and possibly the week before, this is a time for parents to give themselves a little bit of grace. And I don't know in incidental teaching that there is a perfect way to know the exact right amount of time to wait. You know, I think it's always a good practice to, you know, prompt a little bit and then take a breath or two. And, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to watch our kids flounder. And so certainly just using your own instinct as a parent to make sure that you're supporting your child in learning whatever behavior you're teaching so that they can actually access what it is, whatever it is that's motivating to them. You know, and if you're starting to prompt them and you see that motivation waning, I think, you know, that's fine. Don't push it. Uh, it's, it's fine to, to let that go and to wait for something that is more motivating for your child. Yeah. I liked what you said earlier about have one to two goals a day. I think that's going to help both the child and the adult from feeling overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it gets, once you start thinking about how to build in learning opportunities into these activities, it kind of becomes a thought that's in your mind all the time. And it's like, great, we're going to go to the grocery store. I can teach 40 skills on the way there, 40 when we're there, and then 40 when we're <laughs> home. And then all of a sudden everybody is drowning in this and it was not successful. And so it's like, great, pick one or yeah. two things, right? Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's waiting in line. Maybe it's, staying close. Maybe it's holding my hand when we cross the street, whatever those may be. Yeah. Um, just pick on pick a couple of things to do each day. Um, yeah. And it sort of seems like, um, you know, I think that once, once you start to be successful as a parent using incidental teaching, once you're, you know, if you can sort of give yourself something achievable, like a goal or two a day to work on, you actually start to see more, more and more opportunities and it starts to become more natural and, and I think that, you know, parents who have been doing this for many years, 
can work on more goals at a time, but it's certainly not something that I would recommend to somebody who's just starting out or somebody who's starting to feel overwhelmed. Right. So we've talked about a little bit about kind of what incidental teaching is and how to build in those natural learning opportunities into several, um, several different routines, right? Going for walks or using language. Um, what are, what are some challenges that folks might run into or what are some things they should be aware of as they're starting building in these learning opportunities? Well, I think it's, uh, it can be intimidating to some people at the beginning because there's no script. There's no, um, you know, people, you don't have something in front of you telling you exactly what to say and when to say it. So you have to think on your feet a little bit and you have to sort of be consistently watching your child for cues about what they're, what is motivating to them. Um, and so it's, it's, it's child led. What tips do you have for people who are challenges, people who are new incidental teachers, Richie? Yeah, I, you know, I think the, the, the concept of motivation is so, um, it's so hard to, to grasp sometimes, sometimes because motivation can change so quickly, right? Mm. Uh, yesterday I was motivated for pizza, but today I'm, I'm less motivated for pizza. And so right. it can change from day to day, but it can also change just from minute to minute. And, and maybe, man, I really want a cookie, and I'm going to try to get that cookie that you mentioned earlier but this one doesn't have 10 chocolate chips. It only has two. So like I'm less motivated by it. And that, that's, that's okay, right? That, that changes for all of us. And we would expect that to change for our, for our sons and daughters and, and for the clients that we're working with. And so I think just being, being mindful of that and knowing that motivation is not going to be the same all day, every day. And there may be some continuities, right? Generally, pizza is a good motivator for me, but not always. I really identify with that chocolate chip cookie example, by the way. It drives me nuts. Why would you have three chocolate chips in a cookie? Right, right. No, but, I, you know, I can think of, I can think of a client that I, that I worked with a lot, and, and we were working on having him uh, ask for access to, to snacks, right? And, and they were preferred snacks, and they were really highly motivating, and we would put them up so he could see them, but not that he could grab them. Um, and then he would ask mm -hmm. for one, and, and sometimes, you know, I – he, that exact example would come up where he'd say, I really want that. And then he'd get it. And it's like kind of a look of disappointment on his face. It's like, no, this actually wasn't really what I had in mind. Aww. And that, 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 but then he would, but then we built in other opportunities for him to ask other things and we, we mm -hmm. worked through it. But I think that's just that, that idea of motivation is, it's hard because you can't always, you can't always uh, grasp what it is, right? Today, it may be, today, something may be motivating and tomorrow it may not be at all. Um, and so you kind of have to follow the lead of your child or of the client that you're working with and let them tell you what they're motivated by. Let them tell you what their uh, quote unquote paycheck is for that day or that moment, and then kind of work into learning that way. Can I brag about one of our sites for a second? Absolutely. So um, I visited one of our sites down in Maryland, Trellis, and the setup that they have for incidental teaching is phenomenal. Have you ever been there? Yeah, yeah. I love it. So they have all of these um, sort of play sets, like the larger, like the castle and the garage and the house, um, and then all the fun things that go with, like all the, um, all the people and the toys that go with the sets are in these, like, plastic containers that are sort of out of reach. Um, and so, you know, the teachers can sit down and, like, start to play with this fun thing and make it really fun and the kiddo can look up and see all of the different things that they can 
choose to play with and request them. It's just like the perfect opportunity where there's, you know, the motivation is right there. There's, there's something fun and there's lots of things that could make it even more fun that are, are visible, but, um, but they need to use their language to get them. I just think it's so that. brilliant. Yeah. So everything's too. in a, in a clear, uh, clear plastic bin, right. And you can see if they, they get to pick the activity mm-hmm. that they want and that's motivating to them in that moment. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. So Richie, what are some of your favorite examples of incidental teaching that you've either done or see other people use through the years? Oh, great question. Thanks for putting me on the spot, Catherine. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I really think that uh, a big thing I like to do is like I mentioned earlier with the routines and, and really building in a lot of learning that way. Um, mm-hmm. You can do that with, I do that with so many different, so many different activities, but particularly I do it a, a lot around snack times. Mm. Can you tell it's almost lunchtime because I'm talking a lot about snacks today, but, um, <laughs> but whenever we're building in, uh, whenever we're doing a routine for like snack time, and this can be done for all sorts of different ages, it's not just the great, I sit down and food appears. It's, I'm going to set the table. I'm, you know, put out plates and napkins. Um, I'm, you know, for some of our older learners, they can help make whatever it is, right? If we're teaching, you know, making a snack or if we're working on finding food in the refrigerator, whatever it may be, you can build in opportunities to learn about healthy foods. You can build in opportunities for cooking, right? Even making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich has a bunch of different steps in there and you can build in language into that. So I feel like a lot around, a lot around food for me tends to be a lot of good teaching because when I'm hungry, I'm very motivated. <laughs> I just think about I it think for me. I think a lot of people are. Yeah. So it's how do we get ready for it, right? Then, then we get to access all of it. And then the other part is how do we clean up, right? It's not just throw everything in the trash. It's let's put the trash in the trash, the trash, the, the plates in the sink, you know, for some of our older learners, they're loading the dishwasher afterwards or they're, um, you know, they're helping clear the table, things like that. And so I think it, you can build in a lot, of, a lot of learning in those ways. As you were talking, it just reminded me of how fantastic cooking is in general or meal preparation for kids of all ages. So you can have an early learner who is, you know, with you while you're cooking and preparing things, and they could be learning the names of all the foods. They could be learning the names Mm -hmm. of all of the kitchen utensils. You know, if they're ready to be actually speaking the words, they could be doing that. If they um, are not ready to be doing that and they're pointing to things, you could could start using that. You could teach joint attention and work on joint attention while you're – while you're cooking. And then you've got older kiddos who can learn about verbs. You know, I'm, I'm stirring the pot, I'm cracking the egg, and you can start to, you know, build more complex sentence structure while you're doing those things. You can also, right. for even older kids, you could be working on, you know, math. We need, right. um, you know, we've got, we need to put five cups of flour in to make our hala and we've already put two cups in how many more do we need or you know just simple counting as well i mean there's just so many different things so i think again to avoid parents being overwhelmed they can sort of like pick one or two things that they're going to try to sort of present and reinforce um, as you go about that activity but the number of different things you could target are sort of infinite 
I think the other thing that's good that we haven't really talked about, um, and I don't want to get too deep into it, but just spending, you know, there's, there's a good value in just spending time, right? Having our sons and daughters hear our voices, having us spend time together, doing an activity together, you know, and that's something whenever I'm cooking, for example, I'm always narrating what it is that I'm doing. All right, I'm going to go and get eggs because we need eggs because the recipe calls for two eggs. And so, so even just that, they're getting to hear the label of the item a few times. They're getting to hear what it, they're getting to see me do it. Um, and so I think mm-hmm. that's something that I encourage a lot of families to do for, for any time they're spending time, you know, if they're making meals or whatever it may be. We're, we're talking about food a lot, but whatever the activity may be. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, if, if you're on a walk, I'm going to walk over here and see if there are, uh, if there are spiders in this, uh, in this tree. Let's go over and see if there are spiders in the tree. And we get to, you know... That's a natural opportunity where I got to label two different things. We got to, you know, there's some verbs in there. There's all sorts of language learning that happens just from us spending time with them. So I I think spend time with your kids and continue just to talk, which clearly I have no problem doing. (laughs) (laughs) What are some things, um, you know, for sort of like older, we've, we've talked a lot about sort of like asking for what you want and sort of labeling things, but what are some things that, parents of kids who are a little bit further along or a little bit older could work on with their children? Great, great question, Catherine. Uh, One of the things that I'm always thinking about for our our older learners, especially our teenagers, is their, um, how they present to the world when they go out. And maybe now they're not going out as much as before, but they still need to make sure that they are Mm. Um, dressed appropriately, that they've uh-huh. showered recently, that they're putting on deodorant, that they've brushed their teeth. I think some of those uh-huh. things kind of get overlooked in all of this. But if we're going to go out somewhere, I want to make sure that my teenagers that I work with are um, presenting appropriately, right? And so, so for some of them, it's you know great they need to they need to shave, but others they need to actually do. Um, we set up a, uh, a check system where they do a, this is how I'm dressed, this is how my parent expects me to be dressed. And, and so they have to compare their outfit to what their parents would expect or what the community oh. would expect based on where they're going. And so I think mm-hmm. even things like that, that we kind of take for granted that we don't necessarily think about, I think for some of our learners, we need to teach them that. And so I think that's a great one for older learners. Absolutely. So important. Sort of building on that kind of social skills, one of the things that I like to do with older kids who are working on reading emotions is to work on it within their favorite videos, right? Because Mm -hmm. if they are, if they're wanting to watch a specific cartoon or a specific show or a specific movie, it's obviously going to be motivating. I think electronics, as we talked about last week, are usually very motivating for kids. And so you can, so easily now um, that people are watching more Netflix and things that are sort of like pre-recorded, you can pause almost everything. So right. pausing it, pausing the video, and then talking about the social situation, what's going on here? How does, how does he feel? How can you tell? How can you tell he's sad? Right. Um, what do you think is going to happen next? What do you think it was that made him sad? What are some things that, how are some ways that he could respond to that? You know, and I wouldn't, just, I just want to throw the caveat in there that I, I wouldn't actually pause it and ask them all of those questions. I would probably ask <laughs> one of those one. questions and then press play again. And so it's quick and easy. It's something that's already like really caught their attention. Um, and then you're using, you're using that motivating video to work on something that they need to work on. Great. 
Catherine, thank you so much uh, for taking your time again this week and giving us a bunch of tips. We talked a bunch about some ways to build in learning opportunities for the early learners, different different developmental domains, covering self-help skills, covering language skills, um, covering some social skills. I think all of those are really valuable. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time and knowledge this week. It was fun as always. Thanks, Richie. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this week's episode with Katherine Johnson. Hopefully, you were able to pull some great information about incidental teaching and how you can build learning opportunities into your normal daily routine. Um, as always, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Autism Therapies. And if you have a show suggestion or an idea that you'd like us to cover, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at allautismtalk at learnbehavioral.com. And for those of you looking for the resource that we talked about at the top of the show, go to learnbehavioral.com backslash parent resources. As always, stay healthy and take care of each other. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of All Autism Talk. This podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, the leading network of providers serving children with autism and other special needs. Visit us at learnbehavioral.com. Listen to previous episodes at allautismtalk.com on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time.